This week's episode on the Tech Immersions podcast will be worth checking out on the blog. I actually got a bunch of great photos from our interview that we're featuring today. This was recorded live at Canvas Ventures in Portola Valley here in Silicon Valley, one of a, a number of sort of a recent string of interviews that we've done in person at the headquarters of various companies and firms. I spoke today with Ben Narrison, who's a partner at Canvas Ventures. When I went into the meeting room where we were actually doing our, our little recording, I saw companies on the wall, companies that, that Canvas and its partners throughout their history had sort of invested in. A number of companies that I had recognized, folks that had been on our show, Crowdflower, Nuance, MuleSoft, a number of great companies that we've actually had on the program, in addition to other AI-related companies that we haven't spoken to and that were around since even before we actually started recording these podcasts, such as Siri, which was certainly a trendsetter of its day. Ben does not go around looking for AI to invest in. Ben goes around looking for companies to invest in. And from Nuance to his more recent investments, such as Howes, H-O-U-Z-Z, and other companies here in the Bay Area, Ben sort of has some ideas around what makes an investment interesting with artificial intelligence, what might actually add value to a business model via artificial intelligence, and what's just wholly irrelevant. I think a lot of the time, especially, you know, I'm, I'm out here looking at company profiles and, and homepages all day for various vendor companies in the AI space, and a lot of the time, AI is sort of touted more so than the core deliverable of the company. That's something that certainly seems to frustrate Ben, and really doesn't resonate seemingly with, with very many folks in the investment world. Ben speaks about what facets of a business model tie in well with AI, where it might really prove to have a, a fruitful and meaningful result, and how sort of a plume of proprietary data can sort of feed that potentially. And again, what other elements of an AI pitch or AI leverage in a business model might just be completely irrelevant, and investors might be more turned off than turned on. Certainly some important distinctions from an investor's perspective on where this stuff can make financial return. Ben, again, has been in the game investing in companies that many of us admire in the AI space, from Nuance to Siri, etc., and is still quite active. His analogies that he uses in this interview are fantastic. We had a great colorful conversation. You'll probably hear me and probably hear him sipping coffee in the background. I didn't sleep much the night before. I don't know about Ben, but it was a great and lively chat. I got some photos from their HQ. I got some photos of their wall of all the various companies that they've invested in. I think they're adding another five or six tiles up on that wall pretty soon. But cool stuff in terms of uh, visual appeal on the actual blog if you want to sort of get an insider perspective. But without further ado, we'll dive right into the episode. This is Ben Narrison with Canvas Ventures recorded live at their headquarters. Ben, we can start off with this. I, I was at a uh, I was at an AI-related event in San Francisco recently, and one of the investors on the panel said, in business models or business plans that they see now, and pitch decks that they see now, if AI isn't on page one, it's on page three. Have you seen that same trend recently? And if so, is, is that an uptick in the talent that's now flooding into the entrepreneurial world, or is that just an uptick in the word being used? Yeah, I think there's reasonable amount of truth to it. It's not always the case. There's plenty of businesses that don't mention it at all. Yep. It depends on what you're focusing on. If you're going to present me with the next interesting, I'm not interested in this, by the way, so please don't pitch it to me, <laughs> dog walking app, and you're claiming that ML on the back end will keep my pup from getting fat, well, you know, not sure I care. And I don't think most people are going to bother to try and pretend it is. But what's happened is machine learning, neural networks, and then loosely stitching all that together to say AI, we're not at general AI yet by any means, has sort of replaced the word algorithm 
as the thing that everybody has some version of. Hmm, okay. And, you know, it goes to, from the standpoint of entrepreneurs thinking about how they should incorporate this, it goes to the credibility on the person on the other side. I remember at one point someone pitched me about, you know, blah, 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 and we have this algorithm in the back end. I was like, okay, wait, stop. Take me through what this quote-unquote algorithm does. And they said, well, it does X and Y. I'm like, that's not an algorithm. That's just math. You know, if you say one and one equals two, I don't know if the dictionary definition will grant you the privilege of calling that an algorithm or not, but it's not one that I care about. Yeah, yeah. You know, there needs to be a level of, of depth and nuance. So I think everybody believes that having a data plume that they capture and then manipulate on the back end could be called machine learning, but it's probably not. Uh, hmm. Yes, the machine is used, but it's probably entirely within the oversight of the person. Now, to part of your question, there is also a wellspring of growing people with expertise in this category. In this okay. case. We hired our very first associate ever, Sarah, who came out of Palantir and Mattermark, who has deep expertise in this space and really knows her stuff and is material to our ability to understand sort of cutting edge where things are. Part of what we're noticing is that um, sort of AI, I'll just use that as the abbreviated yep. term yep. for machine learning and neural networks, is being open sourced. And as it's being open sourced, you're having a larger and larger community be able to contribute to it. You're also making it available to more and more people. So very few people are pitching that they have some proprietary machine learning. What they're pitching is that they have proprietary data sets, which can inform that machine learning, which is what creates great power. And that can be true in businesses that aren't necessarily that complex. Finding the people to run the systems, however, is non-trivial. Agreed. I think you had mentioned a term, the data plume and then you had also talked about kind of having that proprietary pool of data sort of being where the power is. Is it often in your shoes more compelling to hear about how you're collecting something at grand scale and of value, some data at grand scale and of value, than it is to know every nut and bolt as to how the deep learning is, is set up and what you're running it on and, and all the rest of that? Is, is that almost more important in the initial? Oh, yeah. Pitch? I'd say absolutely, actually, because... If you tell me you've got the most compelling deep learning structure in the world, I personally can't diligence whether that's true anyway. Yeah. Um, Sarah can. You know, Paul probably can as well, my partner Paul Shell. But I'm going to rely on people that are current and cogent on that topic to figure out whether that's the case. Yep. What I need to understand is when you're feeding that engine, you know, if you have the most perfectly designed engine in the world and you're filling it with sewage waste – it isn't going to run. Yeah. You know, you put high octane fuel into this thing or do you have unrefined oil? You know, one of the things we say, I have a company in the big data space called Enigma.io and we were talking about this at the board level and it's, you know, data is now one, the universal source of truth. And I think people understand that data is also the new oil. Our job as Enigma.io or as any company in this space is to be the new age refinery of that data. So it's what do you have as raw materials and what can you do with it? Because, you know, think about the engine analogy again. If you put crappy fuel in, maybe the engine will run, but it might get all clogged up. You know, it just, it can't necessarily function. You've got to clean this data. It's funny, we actually have an investment in a company called Crowdflower. And their whole thesis is if you spend whatever money, dollar, a million dollars, on fine-tuning your algorithm and deep learning, you'll get far less impact than if you spend that same amount of money cleansing the data yeah. that goes in in the first place. So you got to have a great source of data that I believe can be monetized. Now, here's the other thing. For all time, literally for all time I've ever looked at companies from when I was a startup founder myself to current day, everybody has pitched the quote unquote value of their data. And until very recently, I've generally pushed back with questions like, okay, fine. Who's going to buy it from you? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's their title? What's their budget? Who's going to sell it? Where are you going to get the people to sell it? 
Because until very recently, with the exception of things like Nielsen and NPD, there were not very many people in the business at scale of selling data, nor were there very many acquirers of it or budgets or titles for people to buy it. So all these people thought they had this great data. When we started Fashion Mall in 93, we pitched the value of the data for nine years, and no one ever paid us a penny for it. The difference is today, machine learning is allowing people to extract actionable and immediate value out of that data, where the data sets are proprietary and interesting and useful and big, and that can be sold to lots of different people or influence your business. Interesting, yeah, because I'll still read about topics along those lines like, hey, you know, well, what's your business model? Well, you know, I mean, at some point, we're just going to have this data and it's going to be great. And I think maybe what you're getting at is that at some point, that was possibly sort of not even valid. And now there are more opportunities for that to be valid. And, and you, you can kind of do a bit of a harder think on it than instead just be like, get out of town. Yeah, it's more of a byproduct. I mean, the data that you get is normally the byproduct of the business that you're in. Yep. And then it informs that business and you fine tune the business because of it. Having said that, in the last, I'd say three to five years has been the first time when I've looked at companies that legitimately are powerful on their own for the data or for the manipulation of that data. So, you know, Sarah came on a Palantir. I think that's a really interesting company, although it seems much more like an old-fashioned consultancy where you go in and do a custom project. Yeah. I like Enigma's model because what they do is they take public data. They have the largest repository of public data in the world. And they then tie that into any Fortune 50s private data, which is all siloed. And they look for correlations that can create value. Right? And so this is a business that is effectively all about deep learning, machine learning, neural networks, but it's used, it's sort of like you, you built, you go back to the engine analogy. Great, you built me an engine. If it's sitting on a block, I'm not getting anywhere. Put it in a car, I get pretty far. Put it in a truck, I take a lot of stuff. Put it in a plane, I can really get to some distance. Put it in a rocket, I can get to the moon. Yeah. So, you know, how you're using that engine is more important, I think, than anything. You know, it's, it's interesting we're using all these kind of Rockefeller analogies of, you know, new oil, you know, being the place that refines all the new oil, you know, byproducts. I mean, these are all very Rockefellerian uh, notions here. It's curious. I haven't seen this many of them kind of in a row. For for Enigma.io, it sounds like right off the top of my head, I'd be thinking, you know, financial markets. Absolutely. The hedge fund folks. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the make money in the dark kind of people want that stuff more than anybody. So anyway, yeah, I, I would imagine that that's probably where that's But it's, stuff. and this is, you know, one of the things that we at Canvas are looking for are companies that can really leverage machine learning, AI, et cetera, for point solutions that are enormous, hmm. right? So, you know, if um, a company is running on top of the Google framework, you know, they can do image recognition really, really well. Well, okay, that's great. What's the end product you're going to create from that? You know, what is the thing that is going to come from it? You know, people obviously have pitched variations on shopping based on image recognition for a long, long time. Yeah. You know, there's a company that Google bought, which only did that quite a while back. You know, I think what's interesting now is you've got this excitement and therefore a lot of smart people focusing. And it's what do they do with it? What's the creative version that they come up with? Let's, let's stick with the oil analogy for just a second. Yeah. Oil makes gasoline. It also makes pharmaceuticals. Yep. It also makes plastics. Mm-hmm. So great. There's lots and lots and lots of oil out there. What are you going to make for me? And those are all unconquered territories because, you know, we all know that we are, what is the thing? We're now creating more data every three years than was available for yep, all mankind yep, yep, yep. and yada, yada, yada. Yep. All kinds of data, some of which is valuable and some of which is trash and worthless and who really cares. But, you know, finding immediately actionable intelligence that can create a profit, create value, 
that's that's what's interesting. It can happen in a lot of categories. You, you use this term data plume. Is this is this? Uh, I assume this is a Ben original here. I think there's other people who talk about the data plume. I've, the data exhaust. It's there's both the social plume media has data a nice, nice visual to it. Maybe I like I, plume. I like the I cachet on that one. <laughs> I don't know if I get to take credit for it. I, I okay, hope I do. Right. I'll, I'll claim uh, copyright. <laughs> yeah. See how that goes. Slap a stamp on that one. For you, it sounds like one takeaway that I'm I'm sort of grasping here is you know, if you're going to show up and you're going to be pitching you know, a company that's predicated and kind of leans on artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning for their value prop, you're probably going to have a lot more traction talking about what the valuable data plume and, the, and a valuable sort of proprietary data ecosystem that you're going to be able to either mine better than anybody else or create faster than anybody else and how that will be tremendously valuable to you know whoever it's serving than you are by talking about exactly how you're setting up TensorFlow or, yeah. or you know, how many guys you have that are really great at Python or something like that. We, we need to... I mean, you've got to have base competence in this stuff. Yep, and I'm, I'm, I doubt I'd fund base competence, to be quite frank. I need yep. to know that somebody's exceptional at something before I start to get excited. Yeah, yeah. But it's if you're the world's best archer and you're just shooting trees all day and I need meat, well, you know, we're, we're not going to get along quite like I need to. You know, you need to go out there and hunt me an elephant. So... The tools are important and you need to be the master of those tools, but what you do with them is much more important. And so I think of this as it's not, there will be some companies that are built that are the great AI companies. You know, Morgan Thaler, the predecessor to Canvas funded Siri, you know, it's a, in many ways, a seminal piece of technology in terms of how these things have evolved. Nuance is another. Um, But while I think companies like Enigma could be the next SAP, in my forward-looking hat as an investor, as someone thinking about this through the lens of what Canvas wants in the world, it's less likely that I'm going to find the next big monolithic AI engine of the future, and much more likely I'm going to find the next great expression of it that has been turned into a product and a company and a highly valuable resource. Got it. And, and we have seen some of these broad platform type we're going to be the next SAP companies get a ton of, of money, you know, your Yazdis of the world and whatnot. But I, I think most people would side on your side where in addition to just kind of the base technology that you think maybe the world will adopt, you know, are you just going to smoke a particular business problem that has a huge market that we really think this technology is suited for? And that's kind of question number one, maybe, you know, folks who are eager to get out there and pitch need to bear a little bit more of that in mind. Now, let me just make one more point on that because yes. I think this is true regardless whether the category of discussion is ML mm-hmm, or anything mm-hmm, else. Mm-hmm. You know, entrepreneurs will often sit with me, particularly when I had funded them in the past as a seed investor and things didn't go as planned. They wanted to figure out what the next thing could be. And they'd ask me, you know, what's hot now? And my answer was always the same. That's the wrong question. Whatever's hot now is too late for you. You need to design what's going to be hot three to five years from now. Yeah. yeah. So while I think Enigma has a real shot at being the SAP of the future, that's a company that was started close to five years ago and spent a year building tech yep. when no one was thinking about this. So today, you know, if someone was pitching that sort of pitch, I'd be like, yeah, I'm, I think you're a little like five years behind my other company. So yep, 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 I better yep. really understand why. Now, there are plenty of times when second or third or fourth to market is done better. Yep. There are world-class teams out there. Uh, and so, you know, it's it varies. Normally, my preference is a white space that hasn't been inked in yet, smart people thinking about it, coming up with yep. some new idea. But, you know, if you're truly just the top of the top of the top and you want to take on the giants, that's a, a fair model as well. There's the Rockefeller analogy to that, too. You know, there wasn't a huge infrastructure for refinement at the time. You right. know, there was going to be a guy and there was going to be someone inking in that white space. And 
uh, his last name. Just, By the way, you know the best so. story of the Rockefeller era? They figured it? out for oil distribution, forget about just refineries. The tankers? That, no, the barrels. There were only two barrel makers that could make barrels that could haul oil, which is amazing to me. And he bought one of them. And I think he put the other one out of business somehow, which would be pretty put miraculous. It, put so many people out of business. Right? So he got this chokehold. You know, if you think about it, many businesses suffer from or benefit from a choke point. Yep. And he found a choke point that was actually relatively inexpensive to buy up. At least this is my understanding of the story. Now, yep. the nice thing about the web and the data plume that it creates and that everything we do creates, there's no one that can choke you off on that. I mean, yeah. everybody has access yep, to it. Yep. So It's a different world in that regard. And uh, somewhat commoditized. That data, you better have data that's not just commodity or you might better have a really smart way of figuring out how to turn yep. hay into gold, Rumpelstiltskin. Rumpelstiltskin style. That's that's a nice analogy here as well. We got plume, we got Rumpelstiltskin. I got some I got some stuff in this notebook. Next question I want to be able to dive into, you know, the, the angle I had with this is, you know, what are the things investors aren't really interested in, in machine learning and, and what are the things that maybe they are? And a lot of this is not ML specific by any means. We're just focused on this particular domain for today's topic. Red flag stuff. There's general red flags across the board for you guys about team dynamics and about business model and about you know your perception of and feel for a company, particularly kind of pre-revenue folks. You know when you're in there, kind of in it with a with a, a company again that's got its value proposition leaning onto artificial intelligence in some way, shape, or form. Are there any particulars where kind of flags go up? You know where you ask certain questions or you know they're explaining things in certain ways where you're just kind of just not your thing. Yeah. I think a lot of that's what we covered. Just a yeah, moment ago, okay, in yeah. that, you know, it isn't telling me you got an engine doesn't do it, right? You know, one, do you have the skill to run the engine? But two, how are you going to use it? Calling simple math and algorithm isn't going to cut it for me. I think a lot of this is, in many ways at this point, immaterial to the business as a whole anyway. Let's say you're a baker. Do I really need to know how your oven works? I need to take a bite of your cake and see if I think it's good. So what's the end deliverable here you're going to give me? So if you're going to spend all your time as a sort of potential downside, if it, all your time is just, you know, an explanation of why you do use TensorFlow, well, great. It's good to know you did a PhD study on that. But what is that going to resolve into? I will talk to my entrepreneurs a lot about this when they're raising money in a very general sense. I had an entrepreneur come to me once and he showed me his charts of his revenue, which is a classic place to start. And he said, how does it look? I don't know how it looks. You know, let's look at the assumptions. Let's look at how you built the model. So I just need to know if the chart looks good. I'm like, well, that's like saying, you know, how does this wedding cake look? Well, it looks really pretty. But if I bite into it and it's filled with sawdust because you put icing on sawdust, I'm not happy. And if it's filled with beautiful butter and cream and all the kind of stuff you make wedding cakes out of, then yeah, that's great. So I need you to show me the recipe because I'm not in the business of taking bites of wedding cakes blind. So you better show me the ingredients you used. And these pieces that we're talking about right now, as we focus on sort of ML, AI, in some ways, not loses the point, but it's a component piece. It may empower the new powerful thing you're doing, but it on its own is not that, yep. particularly as the stuff has gone open source. So I think that leaning too heavily on that, actually leaning on it in any material way at all. It isn't like I do X, Y, Z and I'm excited and all of a sudden you throw ML in and I'm like, oh shit, now I'm really excited. Yeah. It's I do X, Y, Z and I'm not interested. And then you tell me you're doing it with machine learning. I'm not any more interested than I was before. You know, it just in theory should make your business better, more rapidly iterative. And, you know, you mentioned when we we're talking about it, sort of the dark money folks, the black boxes of hedge funds. Yep, 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 These yep. guys love alternative data sets, the smartest oh, yeah. ones. Oh, yeah. So should entrepreneurs. Because you know what every venture capitalist <laughs> wants their entrepreneurs to have? An unfair competitive advantage. Moats. 
Well, I'd even go farther because I remember the first time I heard this, a moat is also something I want them to have. I want them to have defensibility. I want them to have protections. When the first time an investor said to me that, I was like, well, that just seems unfair. He's like, yeah, it is. And I don't care. They needed an unfair competitive advantage. And that unfair competitive advantage could be a variety of things. And you could certainly equate that to a moat. I would argue a moat is one of the many types. A moat defends your business from exterior attack. Hmm. But maybe, you know, maybe you actually have a data set that nobody else has or can get or can replicate. There's a company I have a small investment as an individual called Health IQ. And it's very cool because they have a data set over the last couple of years of healthy people and quite frankly, how that being healthy affects them and how it infects affects their life. And therefore things like insurance premiums can be yep. you know, yep. that's rejigged. That's the obvious one. Yeah, yeah. Things like that. So, you know, that's a proprietary data set that would take a very long time to create. We have a company at Canvas called Transfix, which is in essence the real world immediate SaaS and mobile solution for trucking. You could call it some famous ride-sharing company for trucking yeah, 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 type yeah, of thing yeah, okay, if you want it. Yeah, Although yeah, those yeah, guys yeah. are in the trucking business too. But this is sort of immediately get a truck, full truckload, know where it is, monitor it the whole time. We'll handle your entire TMS, you know, your internal logistics solution, everything else. Well, these guys have data we're not even touching yet. Phenomenal amounts of data on where trucks are at any given point in time, where they're going, what those patterns look like. They're having basically this massive heat map of the entire country and soon the globe of where trucks are traveling, when, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Now, we haven't spent any time at all yet thinking about what value that provides over time because that's not the business we're in. But it is a proprietary data set that is quite intriguing. Uh, and there's probably many derivative things could be done from it. The relationships with the drivers of those trucks and the relationships with the people that ship the goods is the more important part for today. But, you know, let's go back to insurance. So if you are an insurer of commercial trucks, 18 wheelers, which are a hell of a lot harder to replace and more expensive and more dangerous than even the nicest car. Oh, yeah. Right. Having real time data on fleets and individual trucks. And you're seeing this already. You're seeing this in alternative insurance products for automobiles. But this is the sort of stuff the insurers start to drool about. In fact, one of the most interesting conversations I had at an AI conference was around exactly that. How, you know, whether, think about shipping over the water, where all of a sudden, and this now flows from ML over to IoT, but you know that this vessel has just crossed into dangerous waters. And in real time, you know that's happening. And all of a sudden, you ping back to the insurer and the insurer can ping back and say, you are no longer in a covered territory. Push here to accept a 5X increase because you're in a war zone. That moment in time isn't the ML part. The ML part is looking historically at your risk patterns yep, yep. and doing better underwriting. But anyway, there's there's lots and lots and lots of powerful data sets out there to be built. Some of us will hold them in storage for God knows how long before we get to them because the core business is just accumulating them because it's so powerful on some. Mm. The byproduct, as you had said. Yes. Yep. Although now let me give you one different example. Yep. Another company I remain on the board of that I funded before I came to Canvas, uh, it's called Branch Metrics. And they do deep linking and attribution for mobile. They probably have the single most compelling data set of crossover information between what people are doing on mobile and on the web and you know on messaging of anybody on the planet. And eventually that data set, that data set's already tremendously valuable. We're not choosing to monetize it in any way, but it is probably the only time in my 25 years as an entrepreneur and 10 years as an investor where I've looked at the business and said, yes, that data set is so valuable. That's all I care about mm-hmm. over time. So that's like the, I mean, Nielsen was doing that really old school kind of that kind of information. What are they watching on TV and who are they kind of stuff? This is sort of behavioral cross device. I, I assume that's 
I mean, they must just get their own crawlers out there. And maybe they have their own software that people are using. How, how are they? Well, just they empower that? mobile businesses to do deep linking. So in essence, they let you on an app have the same best practices you've become accustomed to on the web. So here's just a simplistic example yeah, yeah. of how it works. You know, they just released a case study today, which I was ecstatic about. Instacart used them to do deep linking and attribution through their email. So when you when I send you an email to come check out some Instacart, and it multiplied the effectiveness and conversion rate of those emails 6x. They went from a 1% conversion rate to a 6% conversion rate because what they do is make everything easier. But along the way, with everything being easier, there is this massive data plume yep. of activity. And so you think about how – think about the early days. And this does go to the value of data. In the early days of the web, there was Yahoo. It was a listing service. You sent in a, a site. And if Jerry and David and the people they hired liked it, they put it on their registry. In the beginning, it was literally Jerry and David sitting in Stanford deciding whether to pencil it up onto their sheet, right? Yeah. Then it became possible to actually have deep linking where you could go in deeper and Google was created. Now, Google was created because of the power of search. But what search is, is the ability to go in every layer. Yahoo let you see the cover of a book. Yep. Google let you see the word on the 752nd page. So branch metrics allows mobile to act like Google instead of like Yahoo. And the byproduct of that, the plume, is that all that data now is potentially valuable, not from the standpoint of identifying an individual by any means, but from identifying trend and pattern and discovery opportunities and all this sort of stuff. Was that, was the mention of that, just to, to wrap on this topic, was the mention of that compelling enough in some way? You knew, hey, we're not going to make money off this in the next six weeks, but you also knew this is proprietary, this is defensible, this has value in these future business applications in quite a clear way, and we can build more and more of it by delivering on this valuable uh, service in the front end. So I do attribute some value to this in making this investment choice. Was it, was that? Yeah, it, absolutely. Okay. In fact, that's the first time in, I'll go with 20 active years of looking at companies because for 10 years as a CEO of a public company or a company that became public, I looked at companies for acquisition and investment yep. as well. 20 years is the first time I've seen one where I actually bought the idea that the value was in the data, but now I'm starting to see more. And so sometimes this is that tipping point that, you know, yeah, books are named yeah, after. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. My favorite uh, quote about venture capitalists was somebody that said, Ben, they're just like penguins. You know, they all waddle over to the edge of the ice flow and they look in the water and they wonder whether there's a seal there or something that's going to eat them. And then one day one of them slips and falls in the water. Nobody eats them and they all jump in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So somebody decided AI was the right place to be and they waddled over and jumped in the water and they didn't die and psh, everybody's in the ocean. I have this theory that... Um more wealthy business folks are going to be interested in influential political positions because of the penguin in the water right now. Yeah, um, that's yes. my current. We'll, we'll see if that holds in that domain as it does in the one that you just articulated. But that actually, what you just got to there with Branch actually got to kind of the last question, you know, what have you actually invested in in this space? Personally, and it sounds like that was one where you saw the compelling value where kind of that plume was was part of it. Just to wrap and kind of put a cap on something that I think you started to touch on, you talked about Investors really want a really defensible sort of unfair advantage, quote unquote. We're not talking about breaking the law, but just something that right. people can't really get to. You know, and I mentioned Moat as one analogy, and we've had a bit of an analogy. I, I sometimes make these interviews an analogy fest inadvertently, and you've kind of beat me to the punch on a, a bunch of occasions uh, today, so I think I'm bested. But I used Moat, and you had, you had said it goes a little bit beyond that to, to sort of 
put the vision in the head of the people who are sitting here thinking about their value propositions, thinking about talking to folks like you when they feel like they're ready. What is maybe that farther concept than a moat? How does maybe Branch or these other folks go deeper than that? Yeah, that's fair. And maybe I'm pushing the analogy too far because I do love the analogy game. And yeah, you're yeah. one of the best analogy sparring partners I've had. <laughs> when I think of a moat, I think of it as a defensive structure that protects what we've built from the outside world. And that's certainly important. But let's continue on this analogy. What have you got for hot tar? You know, what have you got for cannons loaded with spikes of steel? And what do you have in the basement that nobody knows about? Where are your dragons? You know, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, I'd argue the moat's interesting, but I'd hell of a lot more have those three dragons because they are the power and they are my absolute unfair competitive advantage. Everybody needs a moat. I sort of expect it. Mm -hmm. Let's go beyond that. And it's not, let's fill it with punji spikes covered in dung. You know, okay, great. That's nice too. Yeah. You, you know, so I, I love the quote one person gave me when I was a kid, when I was an entrepreneur, because I started being an entrepreneur when I was 12 and I lived it. Monday through Friday is for keeping up with the competition. Fridays and holidays are for beating up. Like everybody in business understands you have a finite amount of time to win. Yeah. And working hard isn't good enough. Nor are, you know, like when people pitch me businesses that are heavily reliant on patents, a patent is a defensive mechanism. But if you never won the war in the first place, nobody really cares how you were going to treat the land. You know, you're just dead and buried. So, yes, you have no choice in some situations. But if it's all, oh, we've got 12 patents. Good to know. Do you have a business yet? You know how many companies are out there that have no business at all but have patents? I mean, you know, there's a lot of that's what patent trolls came from. Science, science first, folks. So, all right. So, I guess the the closing note here, you know, you're gonna you're gonna pitch your your technology. Moats or table stakes? Moats or table stakes? Do you have dragons? I, I, uh, I okay, think I like that. That's, that's a good one. That's, that's uh, maybe that's my new one. I always <laughs> I, I love Aileen. I always thought unicorns were the wrong analogy anyway, because as a D and D guy from my youth, unicorns are rare, but not that rare. But golden dragons, there's like one of those. Give me golden dragons all day long as entrepreneurs and I'll be happy. That, that, we're, we're quoting that one, folks. Give me golden dragons all day long. Ben at Canvas Ventures. All right, Ben, hey, thanks so much for the interview, brother. This is great. Thank you. It's fun. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast. And thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.